Hello and welcome to the Consistency Project with E.C. Sienkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings and every episode I have the privilege of having a discussion with E.C. on subject matters that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life. By exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result, it is our goal to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will tell you that this episode is a little different because I am all by myself. There is no EC here for me to ask how she is doing. That is because uh, this episode is a special one. We are republishing a conversation that EC had recently with some old friends, Pat Sherwood and Adrian Bosman, two folks who, if you have been around the CrossFit community for a while, you will recognize, you will know, you will probably love. Uh, they have a podcast together called Varied Not Random, presented by Beyond the Whiteboard. EC was on the show recently. We thought the conversation was fun and substantive and worth sharing. So that's what we've got for you this week. I hope you enjoy. If you want to hear more from the boys over at Varied Not Random, just type into the little search box wherever you're listening to this. Whatever podcast app you prefer, just type Varied Not Random and you will find it and you will enjoy it. Okay, let's get into the show. And boom, we're on. We're going. We're live. We're, we're making this happen. So uh, EC, what, what were you saying now? Well, one, that it's going to be hard to keep this train on the track with this bunch. But uh, yeah, <laughs> well, I, we, were, <laughs> we were talking about, you know, how sometimes we can get a little afield in nutrition and get maybe a little too in the weeds. And uh, I spent a lot, lot of time in the weeds, circa 2010 um, through then. And I was, you know, really worried about doing these really precise things. And Boz called me out a few times and it definitely stuck with me, although I continued on my path of insanity for some time. But there's, there's a few zingers he had, like, you know, are the paleo police going to get you or is is big gluten going to get you? And I was like, oh, Boz just doesn't know. And uh, thankfully I've come back to a position of of slightly more sanity. (laughs) Well, I think it's probably more plausible that Boz doesn't know. I think that's probably... <laughs> so we'll have to get into that too. But yeah, uh, that's funny. Do you remember since you brought it up, like hindsight being 2020, what were some of the things that you think you were a bit too, oh, yeah. I don't know, rigid on or what? What are, what are a couple that popped into your head that you know Boz zinged you about? Yeah, I mean, well, definitely because I was strict paleo. Um, and of course, I was believing that all carbs were killing us. I didn't have a banana for three years or potatoes. Um, you know, darn fruit, potatoes. Yeah, I mean, started worrying about fruit, even kind of all the same questions I get with that. Really worried about additives and food, um, you know, no Diet Cokes or stuff like that. Everything had to be all natural, et cetera. Um, so yeah, just kind of all of the very, very extreme stuff, you know, no dairy, of course, no dairy, no dairy. Um, so thankfully, Do you, don't hold those positions anymore. And maybe we can dive into some of these topics in more in depth later on. But now looking back, do you think those things and we're giggling about them, should you not have done them for lack of a better way to say it because they weren't sustainable for a long term or because they didn't move the needle as much as you thought? Definitely. Well, both. But I think I was doing them because I thought, you know, I was killing myself. And really, I think that's the messaging that I'm so against right now. It's all this fear mongering and all of this ideas that are junk science um and sustainability comes with that for sure like it's way easier to keep other foods more foods in your diet than eliminate them 
But I think this idea that we're all killing ourselves because we're eating too many bananas, it's like, guys, no, the message is wrong here. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. not why we have a chronic disease epidemic. And so if I went down that path um, I, I f- and I continue to get questions about that type of stuff, I just want to be a voice of like, no, this is junk science and there's no evidence for this. And in fact, there's evidence for the contrary. Mm. Yeah. To eat bananas or to eat grains or to eat dairy. And that seems to me the blaming, and we're already off track, but that's why it's a great podcast. <laughs> the, the blaming of something that grows from the earth, like a banana or a strawberry, you know, maybe depending upon what you read, you could start to be like, oh, yes, I see where this is going. But that almost would be immediately eradicated unless you only hang around with crazy CrossFitters. Okay, so that's that's a different topic. But if you go out into society and the, the local restaurant, the water park, my children's sports games, when I see what everyone's eating in the stands, it becomes very obvious that bananas are not the nation's killer. Like not in, yeah. in, in, yeah. in, in very short order, you know, it's there's probably something else, you know, just putting a dagger in everybody's back and it's not a strawberry. Well, I think what's really kind of interesting about this whole line of conversation, number one, side side note, let me say that hippie pat, if it comes from the earth, it's okay. Pat <laughs> is my favorite pat. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a rare pat. But, but um, I think that it's one of those interesting phenomena of living in the times that we do that being able to evaluate something and change your mind is so frowned upon almost it's like no you have to have a hard line and it has to be predetermined and then you have to stick to that no matter what which isn't real life and so i think it's really admirable when people can especially if they want to be a professional and expert in a given space come back around on something and say you know what actually maybe i didn't look at that with all of the information that i have now and i would have reached a different conclusion had i known that information so i think that's super admirable um and so on that like I feel like you have always done such a good job of creating a simplified message for what can be a really complex topic. So how do you balance those two things together? The fact that there can be so much nuance. And yet, like Pat said, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's probably not some of these nuanced elements that are responsible for the biggest problems that we see from diet and, you know, lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I find with nutrition is that it is wildly complicated at the cellular level, and it, but it's not at the application level. And I think it's true for CrossFit and fitness. We can argue all day about whether or not acidity in the cell is affecting you know, power production and whether or not you know, we need buffers like beta alanine, et cetera. But at the end of the day, we still need to work hard and <laughs> go mm-hmm. faster in our workouts and lift more weight. And so the same thing is true with nutrition. I think it gets wildly complicated when we try to understand what's happening from a physiology perspective, but to make any of those changes, it comes back to what did you have for breakfast and what do you have for lunch? And so that's what I keep trying to bring the conversation back to. It's like, well, what's happening with my insulin response? I was like, what did you have for breakfast? (laughs) You know, because Mm -hmm. that's how we affect change. And, uh, you know, that's the magic of CrossFit. That's the magic of actually what I'm trying to do in nutrition is really get people to do behavior change. As much as I, I love physiology, I, I don't actually care as much if people understand it. I'd rather see them making the habit change in real life. So on that, and Pat, I could see you queuing something up, but I'm just curious. Yeah. Now that you've been, you know, exclusively focused on, on your nutrition practice for several years now, do you see more people that, uh, need to make like a basic change and get in the the ground level on nutrition 
versus how many people do you see kind of overcomplicating themselves out of an already sound lifestyle? Mm, that's interesting. You actually said this, Boz, CrossFit is a subculture of a subculture. And so I think within our CrossFitting community, the ones, the diehards, I probably have the higher frequency of people spinning themselves out of what was already a basic habit, right? Because now they've latched on to all these kind of fear-mongering things that I did circa 2010. But for mainstream America, it's really basic changes that we need. And I think that's going to be true even at the member level at the CrossFit space, like the people that are coming in, not necessarily becoming trainers, not necessarily the ones becoming nutrition coaches, they still need the basic changes. Um, and so ultimately, at the end of the day, for both groups, the ones spinning them out and the ones that need to make change, I, I try to keep bringing back to both the same practices of like, these are kind of some basic tenants that we all need, adequate quality, adequate protein and caloric control. And until you do that, you're wasting your time nutritionally. And there's not much after that, even at a high level. Maybe That's you started Maybe you started talking about it right there with just that little synopsis. But I was going to say for everyone tuning in, you know, we, we've got you on because you are the expert. If you had to, I'm sure this could go on for quite some time, but, but encapsulate your nutritional philosophy, if you will, you know, what yeah. is your elevator talk? Yeah. Um, how, how many floors do I got? No, but you got um, a decent amount. You got a, you got a decent amount. <laughs> how many floors? So I did this podcast recently. That was like the three pillars of nutrition that I think are driving at least 90% of the results people want and at least 90% of the people out there. So the like the majority of people out there to get them to at least 90% of the results they want, I think they need three things. I think they need adequate quality. I think they need adequate protein and I think they need caloric control. And then the question is, okay, that's the concepts. It's kind of like, I explained it on the podcast. It's kind of like the 80-20 rule, like spend most of your time on the things that have the biggest payoff. I actually think this is going to be closer to the 90-10 or the 95-5 rule for people. If I get my quality in line, if I get my protein in line and my calories in line, I don't really probably need to worry about much else. Maybe top end athletes, we can get to that. But so those are the concepts and, and people are like, cool, yeah, on board, like it. How? Mm -hmm. You know, that's always then the bridge of like, now, how do we actually implement that? And that's where that I have my own methods. That's where I suggest the 800 gram challenge. That's where I suggest lazy macros. And if we need two macros, although I really don't love to have to get there. And that's where we get a lot of confusion in the nutritious space is we spend all the time looking at the methods. It's kind of, again, in CrossFit, it's like, oh my gosh, do I need to do tempo back squats or back squats or front squats? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like, no, we need you to squat heavy as a principle, right? Um, and, and so we, a lot of people get, get spun up because they keep saying focus on methods without understanding those underlying principles first. If the how is interesting, but to get people to truly understand those three things that you just said, because there's probably a lot of power there, but we just, we just glazed over them rather quickly quality adequate protein and then caloric, caloric control yeah. control so quality let's, let's start with that one is that just as simple as don't eat processed food and and if so i guess we could say what do you mean by processed food but so when you say quality how do you define that to your audience yeah adequate quality i need the person to get enough of the micronutrients that are required enough fiber in the diet and ideally maximize these phytochemicals, you know, like uh, curcumin and turmeric and resveratrol and grapes and all of that stuff. Resveratrol, of course, resveratrol. Yes, resveratrol. There's <laughs> over 8,000 of these, right? So, <laughs> he, so he we want to make sure we get them all, all the time. <laughs> Episode four. <laughs> Episode four. Oh, 
God. Um, Attica quality. So I need people to get all of these micronutrients, fiber, and maximize these phytochemicals. And so that comes from whole unprocessed foods. Great. How? People want a number. People want a target. And so that's where I, that's mm. where I do use my 800 gram challenge for people to eat 800 grams by weight of fruits and vegetables each day. They pick the fruits and veggies and um, they can continue to eat whatever, whatever else they want. Now that's not a perfect system for a lot of different ways, but it also is not a perfect system because we can get quality from meat. We can get quality even from grains. But for me, this is a great first step for people to have a good amount of quality in the diet. And from the USDA statistics alone, we've got 90, upwards of 90% of people not eating enough fruits and vegetables. So that's where I start with. Let's establish some quality in the diet. We're gonna do it with fruits and veggies and we're going to hit this kind of target amount. That sounds like a lot of work. Shouldn't I just have a probiotic drink? <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to put there on this, this 800 gram challenge thing because I think yeah. there's a, a couple of really cool pieces in there. This is something broadly that I was interested in because I think it applies to all sorts of health and fitness related topics. But, you know, you have something relatively static like the human organism. You know, like we're not really changing much day to day, week to week, month to month, maybe generationally, sure. But the the physiology is pretty set and yet there's always going to be kind of a consumer need to set yourself apart and try to come up with something that is novel mm -hmm. so how do you reconcile that and i think you've done that really well with this 800 gram challenge so just just kind of a, an observation there that you know you've taken something that i think everybody is intuitively like yeah i should do more fruits and veggies and made that in a palatable kind of package which is really cool and then I think there's also a, a real genius behind that because there's a limited amount of food that people will eat in the single day, week, month, whatever. And if that is offset by trying to get something of a higher quality, then de facto, you're going to jettison some of the junk on the back end, right? So you kind of, I don't know, it's like a sneaky way to get, to get both. Like I'm looking at your number three principle there of caloric mm -hmm. control and that kind of ties mm -hmm. into it too. So was that something that consciously you tried to cover your bases with, with the 800 gram challenge? Or is that just something that emerged as kind of a benefit? I definitely knew that was happening because I actually played with it for six months, collecting data on it and establishing rules on it before launching it. I wanted to know what would happen and what are we looking at in terms of calories and diet and outcomes. So I knew that was an outcome. Um, the problem is, of course, because we don't take all things in the diet we still might not have caloric control. And so while most people have uh, like weight loss or weight control or performance effects from it, I have had people gain weight and that's like, okay, well, we can do the 800 gram challenge and still have a pint of ice cream every night. Uh, and, and that's not gonna lead to weight loss. And that's why there is a, there are further steps down this. But getting back to kind of your first point, like I'll be the first to tell people guys, the 800 gram challenge is not magic. I, I am just telling you to eat fruits and vegetables. <laughs> like You've heard this one before. Like, I wish I could tell you that it was some new secret thing and, and it's not. And my main message in the space is I would rather people get clarity in nutrition and get to the end results. And so as much as I love it as mm. the first road, I am more tied to people seeing the results than I am them using the 800 gram challenge. If they want to do the 799 gram challenge, go for it, you know, <laughs> or the 600 gram challenge plus not as much ice cream, you know. Um, and that's why I can, I, I try to speak to other diets as well. So they can understand what's happening with paleo or Indian fasting and all of that stuff. Um, I will say, I think the one nuance with the 800 gram challenge, well, I don't want to say one nuance, but one, it allows for a lot of flexibility where I think there's been a lot of dogma in the nutrition space. So it kind of takes away some of that, but two, there, 
again, you know, you're going to see a lot of influence of CrossFit, no surprise, having a measurable target. You know, if we just say we're going to eat clean today and I'm going to just do better today, or I'm just going to eat more fruits and vegetables, what the heck does that mean? And it's a very slippery slope of what that starts to look like over time. And so this Mm -hmm. is a way that we can have a meaningful, measurable standard over time to hold yourself accountable to. Yeah. It's something in there that I thought was so important when it comes to diet or lifestyle, whatever you seem to have such clarity around, I'm interested in the outcome and everything Mm -hmm. that follows is just a tool to help me arrive at that outcome. And if the tool is no longer serving or isn't serving in the way that it was presented initially, let's change the tool. I'm like, that is Mm -hmm. so, you, you, I don't don't know. To me, you seem to exemplify that so well, where you don't get lost in the sauce, so to speak. And that's, that's CrossFit's influence to be perfectly honest. And I think that's the beauty of, of, you know, all the teachings that we originally learned and talked and, and all of my experience mm-hmm. there, it's, it's, you got to be tied to the outcome because the science you, if you tie yourself to the science and the physiology, you will be wrong. <laughs> that's going to evolve. Years all the go time. By. <laughs> yeah. That's going to evolve and that's going to change. And if you tie yourself to where do I have better health markers? Where do I have better performance? Yeah. You're going to be right more times than not. Circling back to those three, the adequate quality, adequate protein, and then the caloric control. Mm-hmm. Caloric control is interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. many years ago, for sure, and, and I'm sure it still exists, there almost seemed to be two camps. There's probably more. But there was one camp that was, hey, uh, your body, your weight and whatnot, it's a calories in, calories out deal. And there was another camp that's like, no, it is not. It is a hormonal response to what you're eating. And you can have those wild fluctuations in the calorie as long as you are have the proper percentage breakdown of, of the macronutrients within well, your controlling your hormonal response. And that's what drives your body composition, your performance forward or whatnot. All of your experience, all the, the, the classes that you've attended, the books you've been in, the whole nine yards, you've got obviously written down there caloric control. So maybe we've got an idea of where you're going with this, but where have you shaken out on that kind of those two sides? Yeah. Yeah. Um, calories are going to be the driver. I think what gets lost though, again, is what's happening in mainstream America is that, and this is where the original wording in CrossFit, I think was so eloquent, eloquent. I can't even say the word. Wow. That's not elegant at all. Um, he said excessive consumption of refined carbohydrates, mm-hmm. refined carbohydrates, nine times out of 10 are high in fat as well. And we're getting a ton of calories from that. And that's okay. what's interesting. And so hyperinsulinemia, type two diabetes is a disease of energy excess. It's a disease of too many carbs and fat. It turns out typically we're doing that by way of refined carbohydrates, but it carries a lot of fat with it as well. And, um, and so it's not, uh, the hormones are involved, but if you reduce calories, you will have better health outcomes. If somebody's listening to this and interested and it's hitting home, but that what, you know, not quite sure maybe what you mean by refined carbohydrates. Mm. What would you, how would you define that? Yeah. Or examples. Yeah. Anything that comes in a box or a bag um, that doesn't really have a a shelf life that can kind of be there next year and probably still be safe to eat. (laughs) Refined carbohydrates. Yes. A product. And and that's where the marketing comes into play. So interesting, right? I mean, I was my wife and I, we talk about these things with our family and we want to get the boys on a good path of eating and all this and, and a sustainable path, like right? not make them crazy to one side or crazy to the other. But now what's interesting is they've started to notice things and they ask questions. And we were walking through the aisles of the grocery store the other day 
the cereal aisle, I'll be honest. And he's, my youngest son is like, hey, we should get that one. It was Cheerios because he saw a little heart on the box and he said, it's part of a heart healthy diet and it helps it helps you like avoid heart attacks and stuff. That's awesome. And I was like, oh, I was like, I, I can't even get into this with you right now. I'll, I'll, I'll connect you with a person smarter than me, you know, but you know, the regular person just walking around unfortunately due to some marketing and not the knowledge base that you have may actually think they're making a good decision mm. that will drive the needle forward and they pick something off the shelf in the grocery store and they've sadly just fallen into the trap of marketing and they're doing quite the opposite due to refined carbohydrates that they're, that they're trying to do so that's why I'm <clears throat> I'm a big fan of having somebody like you on here so people can start to understand a little bit of the whys and the hows like you're saying you don't need to get down to the molecular level in the cells but what's actually going on when you consume certain foods and, and just make better decisions day in and day out hopefully well and getting back to this whole idea about calories i think like so many other topics people want to glom onto one aspect of that argument and then make it their line in the sand and what i mean by that is it's always confused me that people want to put themselves in these camps of well calories either do or don't matter and food quality is the only thing or the we're not important at all. It's like, again, this is not a desert island scenario that you were being asked <laughs> to choose one or the other. Obviously, they're both going to have an impact. And obviously, you should try to strike a balance. It, I, it, it's strange to me that somebody is going to sit there with a straight face and argue that, well, if you eat a sleeve of Oreos every night, as long as that is within your caloric intake, you will be healthy. I don't <laughs> right. think anybody can make that argument with a straight face. But on the other hand, I don't think you can make an argument with a straight face saying, well, if I eat, you know, four pounds of steak and broccoli every day, I will also remain healthy. It's like, well, of course not. The quantity there is ridiculous. And over time, that's going to have negative impact. So, yeah, I don't know. It is strange to me that people want to get so down the rabbit hole of one idea and they fail to see that you don't have to choose. And, and you should consider both metrics. Well, that, that begs maybe the question because... Why in the world is nutrition such a polarizing topic to begin with, mm. you know, which we had to deal with every now and then if we gave the lecture potentially yeah. once a week. But now this is your day in and day out world, EC. This is the it path is. you have chosen. It and is. you've probably had to become much more skilled than either one of us at uh, disarming people, uh, how mm -hmm. to broach the subject. So I guess the question is, have you learned at all as to why nutrition is such a hot button polarizing topic and then what are some ways people can start to have these conversations without it turning into a fist fight yeah <laughs> yeah well i'll answer the last one first you know i've not seen any war one on the internet so i don't engage mm. <laughs> there mm -hmm. you know and, and it's kind of funny i guess i'm sort of a reluctant nutritionist i actually don't like telling people what to do you know, I'm not interested in convincing you. I'm not going to send you a study that I think is going to prove anything. Right. I'll tell you what I know. And if you want to listen, great. Otherwise mm -hmm. you can unfollow, turn off, et cetera. Why is it so polarizing? Um, there is a lot of emotion in it. I think there's a lot of our culture, um, how we handle food, as well as kind of self-worth, self-love uh, issues, self-esteem around nutrition and what we're eating and what we're told to look like in the media. So I think that also kind of comes into play there that people have a lot of emotions around it because they've put their self value in aesthetics. And of course, nutrition plays out in aesthetics. Mm -hmm. So 
kind of full circle yeah. on this idea of, of calories and, and kind of that idea that this is, you know, there's culture involved in nutrition that can make it such a difficult topic. And, and you mentioned, you know, norms of aesthetic and things like that as well. So on the back end of that, you know, you talk about adequate protein and caloric count. What I find personally as a challenge, so it's a bit of a selfish question, but, but I think especially when you have people that are getting into an active lifestyle for the first time and they've done a bunch of like crash diet style stuff in the past, one of the challenges is eating enough and eating mm -hmm. enough protein. So what are some of the strategies you have to kind of encourage people to break out of this mindset of, you know, starvation is the only way to salvation and, uh, you know, it, it truly is going to be healthier for you in certain circumstances to be eating more than what you're accustomed to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two ways. When I set the adequate protein level, that's at 0.7 grams per pound of body weight. Use your current weight. If you're more than 20 pounds away, then you can use your target weight. For a lot of people that I work with, that's higher than what they're currently doing. Um, mm. And that number came about through a lot of different sources, not to exclude just sustainability and what I find people can actually do. But mm. it also does fall in line with people who are doing resistance training and want to add muscle mass. So, you know, that's a lot of the people that we work with. Now, if you're a professional bodybuilder and you want to go up to one gram per pound of body weight, great. But uh, a lot of people aren't there. So that one step is going to have people eating more. Of course, 800 gram challenge, they're going to be eating more fruits and vegetables, although I appreciate the calories are generally low there. But I purposely chose the words caloric control for people like you, because I would even use the word caloric control to mean now we have to eat the right amount for your level, right? I didn't want it to always be minimize calories mm -hmm. or eat less calories. I wanted to be eat the appropriate calories for you. And so some people definitely do have to eat more. And this is where there's a lot of confusion in the space because I'm not sure if you saw the video, I did watch it, uh, Matt Fraser talking about his diet and people were shocked at the number of calories he ate and the shocked at the types of food that he was eating. And it's like, guys, this is, this is it. Or if you saw the stuff about Michael Phelps years ago, it's like, there's mm -hmm. no way they can fuel that on broccoli. <laughs> right. And so for our higher um, caloric individuals who need to establish control at a higher level, yeah, we're going to do the 800 gram challenge. That's going to be a very small fraction of what they need. And then they're going to have to go on and pick some of these more calorically dense foods. And it is going to be grains and it is going to be processed foods, especially at a kind of a superior athletic level. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. And well, that's actually kind of begs the question then, how different is, is your approach when talking about somebody for general health uh, kind of considerations versus somebody who's really trying to push the envelope? You know, what, what is the difference in your mind? Is there a big difference? You know, how, how do you tackle that? Because I yeah. think, again, there's a lot of people that want to conflate. It's like, well, there's one size fits all. And, and it doesn't matter if you're trying to be Matt Fraser or if you're just trying to tackle your, your uh, you know, family history of chronic illness. It's got to be exactly the same thing. Yeah. I would say those first three steps are good all the way through somebody who is not making money off of their sport. So whether or not they're, you know, the middle-aged woman just getting off the couch, or there's somebody like me still doing CrossFit relatively lean and fit, adequate quality, adequate protein and caloric control. Now, the differences between us will be my protein levels will be different and also my total calories will be different in how I get there. But I see those people as very, very similar. It's only when we get into the realm <clears throat> where athletics really matter, I'm going to want to know a little bit more about carb to fat ratio, if that's appropriate for your sport. 
And then guess what? For the Matt Frasers, for the Tias, I want them to try every supplement under the sun that's legal and is not contaminated because if we get 5% placebo effect, game on. <laughs> but mm. it's only in that population where a placebo effect matters when we're talking about actually winning a medal. Their health doesn't change because of it. Their performance doesn't really drastically change. It's only to win a medal at an event. So it's, it, those are the tweaks that I would make. Now, I want to step back to that carb to fat ratio really briefly. <clears throat> What's interesting is when you have people doing a mixed amount of fruits and vegetables, when you establish enough protein in the diet, I don't want to say every time, most of the time, the way they shake out is going to be I don't know, about 20 to 25% of calories on protein and then about split between carb and fat. Why? Because doing extreme low carb or low fat is boring. You cut out a lot of sources. And so by default, they end up at this mixed macro middle ground, which should mm -hmm. sound very familiar. And guess what? It's really sustainable and it works for a lot of different activities, including CrossFit. So a lot of times people shake out just mm. by way of having different foods in the diet and having enough protein and fruits and veggies to having a mixed macro diet. And that's where they're going to be fine all the way through until they're making money off their athletic endeavors. Very cool. And so, and so it's kind of like my, my podcast co-host said this and I like it. It's like, what's the least number of constraints I can put on because some things yep. are going to shake out by way of sustainability. And that's why I don't put a ton of rules on the 800 gram challenge. Like what if I eat 800 grams of mango every day, you see fine enough. You'll be sick of it on day three. <laughs> right. Know? That'll work itself out. <laughs> Right, right. It's going to work itself uh, out. So I'm not going to worry about that rule. And so it's the same thing here. A lot of times we end up at a great macronutrient balance just by way of the fact that we can't eat um, keto for, you know, ever. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and I think that's such a great point too. And super powerful. The older I get, Pat and I talk about this a lot, you know, it's a different mindset that you have when you are first adopting something and you're doing it for the first month or the first year even. But once you get past that first decade and you're starting to stare down the barrel of, okay, I've committed enough to this thing. I'm going to be doing it forever. Maybe mm -hmm. not in exactly the same format, but I do think you start to recognize sustainability as a really key driver um, for no other reason than, you know, you recognize you're going to be doing this longer than you have already, even though you've been doing it a long time. So yeah, that's, I don't know. I, I just, uh, it's I, such an unsung hero. I think that's in general why and I don't want to just speak ill about all of these and lump them in, in general, but something that's like the 10, 15, 30 day challenge, like it's this short term, highly restrictive, whatever it happens to be. And I'll see folks do this all the time, you know, even at, at, at my affiliate. And it's, yeah, you, you move the needle, but if you actually stuck with it for 30 days, because, you know, you, you cut a bunch of garbage out, but it was so not manageable in the long run that two to three weeks later, you're kind of right back where you were. And then you're stuck in this yo-yo effect, you know, compared to taking an honest assessment of where you are, uh, making some some changes that, just like you said, are are sustainable and you're not turning your entire world upside down on day one so that by two, day two, you hate your life and your friends don't want to hang out with you and your family can't stand you and all that kind of a stuff. And that's also where I think... I enjoy what you put out, Easy, because whether people like it or not, there's just a hard dose of just reality, like <laughs> good health, science, but then mixed with what does, you know, you have to live in the real world. You don't live in a laboratory. You know, you're, you're going to have to deal with going out with your friends or going to the ball game or the movies or whatever it happens to be. And you have to be armed with the knowledge of how to survive in those situations. And I think that's 
I think that's tremendously uh, important. Part of, obviously, a big part of the 800 gram challenge is you need to know that you're eating 800 grams,、mm. which involves weighing and measuring.、Mm-hmm. And so, we just talked about sustainability. Do you、mm. see something as actually, you know, weighing and measuring what you're consuming each day at odds with or in line with sustainability?、Mm. Yeah, so I actually also do the 800 gram challenge with corporate wellness programs as well. So, not just CrossFitters who are a little bit more excited to weigh and measure their food.、Um, <laughs> and that's why I put out there is, is you can estimate the 800 gram challenge and that a closed adult fist is about the size of a cup. And so, we need about six cups a day. The only exception is leafy greens don't weigh that much. So, when、mm. I'm estimating and I don't bring my scale with me to the CrossFit Games in Madison and I'm estimating, I just do six fists a day and as many leafy greens as are part of a salad or whatever else I get. I just don't worry about tracking on them, although they do count, you know, technically.、Mm-hmm. But you and that's see, that's、great. my favorite technique, though, is when I'm making a smoothie. <laughs> Is、yeah. I'll loosely put the spinach in there. So, it, like, it <laughs> looks you know,、full. takes up a lot of volume. I'm like, that's definitely two cups, like, easy. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying I, that's, that's not the right approach? That's, that's not the right approach. <laughs> This doesn't count, Boz. We, we、ah. figured you out.、Um, and that's the thing, though, about the 800 gram challenge. Like, the 800 gram number is not magic. We needed a number that was significant enough to do what Boz was sort of saying earlier, huh? This is already starting to affect. Quantity, right? And yeah,、mm-hmm. I needed a number that was large enough that would affect quantity, but was also not so huge that nobody could do it. And so that's, and the number actually came from a study, but that's where the 800 gram number is. It's not that magic happens at 800. Somebody can be very healthy at 700. Other people will be eating 1000 regularly. It's, it's enough volume that it's, you have to focus on getting in enough quality. And then you still have room for some other stuff. So you definitely can estimate it. You don't need to worry about. Is this fist you know, exactly 138 grams compared to the next fist? It'll all shake out okay. You know, weighing and measuring is something I did just so rigorously for so many years that I was dogmatically following the, the zone for better or for worse. You know, it has、mm-hmm. its pros、yeah. and cons. Yeah, totally. But I do circle back to, I've got the scale in the kitchen, and I、yeah. do circle back to it every now and then just as a sanity check, just to make sure that the、mm. calibration of the eye hasn't gone too far one way or the other. because... I'm here to tell you, I know which way it always goes. The portions, <laughs> the portions always grow and grow. And then when I break the scale, I'm, well, they grow on one of the two. And the carbs, they always seem to grow.、Yeah. On the protein, I'm like, oh, I'm not getting enough. You know, so it, it has this. What about good... peanut butter? How is that tablespoon of peanut butter going? Oh, man. Oh, yeah, I'm、man. accurate every time, for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just this heaping. You know, that's, yep, that's it. Nothing's falling off. That's, that's good to、nope. go. So I've, I've got. A question for you based upon a、uh, Instagram post you made that I really liked. And I didn't read all the comments, but I would have、sure. to assume that it was a storm when I,、okay. when I saw it, you know, a good storm. And you mentioned this a second ago with regular athletes and then, you know, the、mm-hmm. athletes that have a much higher output and I maybe work some different things in there. I wrote down your Instagram post so that I could read it and have、Uh-oh. you just kind of, oh,、uh, <laughs> it's certainly not an uh-oh thing, but. I think it will catch a lot of people off guard, especially ones that have been entrenched in CrossFit for quite some time. And just hearing your why might be really illuminating to them.、Okay. <clears throat> Pardon me. So, you said a diet is not, quote unquote, more clean by removing grains, legumes, and dairy. Arguably, a diet is more healthy when they are included. Now, I think a lot of people would be like, what? I thought that was like one of the essence of I'm just so clean. I removed grains, legumes, and dairy. So, how, 
uh, how is that statement that arguably it's actually healthier when they are included? Yeah, I mean, if you look at studies of what happens, these association studies, and I know they're correlation, not causation, we can go into all of that. But when you look at what happens when people who are eating whole grains or legumes or dairy, we generally find better health outcomes. Dairy can be a little bit hit or miss because dairy is so, how is it interpreted and how is it implied in the diet? But generally, we find that people are better off when they have these foods in their diet. And so part of what that caption was saying is what happens, and this was me again, 2010, when you go strict paleo and you remove these foods, how we're consuming them in modern uh, diets tends to be ice cream and nachos and, you know, I don't know, refried beans or something like that. So when you clean up your diet, you're actually just cleaning up all the processed stuff. But mm. the non-processed versions of them is, again, not what's causing our chronic disease epidemic. It's not the black bean. <laughs> right. That is just like, oh my God, we need less black beans or even rice. Like rice is great. We don't need less rice. We might need, I don't know, less rice crackers, you know, covered with mm -hmm. tons of brie cheese before dinner and wine, but we don't need less rice. So that was sort of the, the point of that post. Yeah, yeah. that was, I liked that one a lot. Well, along the same lines, and, and this is, I, I'm really, I don't know. I like to wonk out about kind of philosophy and the culture of things and so taking that same kind of idea that some of these foods that might be taboo to some people or whatever, and this idea that the, the highest performers are probably going to be doing things that the average person is not advised to do, how, how do you kind of advise people or I guess have them not fixate on some of those elements that might not be right for their situation mm -hmm. when there's this obvious game of kind of copycat at the highest level, meaning I'm, I'm an average gym goer. I want to be better. I see a Matt Fraser interview. I see a Tia Claire interview and I, or a day in the life of video of some CrossFit games athlete. And I'm like, Oh wow, that's way more food and way more, you know, processed food, et cetera, than I thought. Ergo, if I want to be at that level, I need to do that too. Oh. How do you kind of parse through that with an individual who might glom onto the wrong things? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I try, I, I try to do what I think largely through education. I mean, you know, I did a podcast on beta alanine and belief, and I, I went through the studies about what beta alanine does in performance. And we have maybe a, maybe a four to six second improvement on a mile time. And it's like, cool. If you need to win a mile for By something, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but I'm going to tell you that that's not going to matter in terms of risk for cardiovascular disease or the quality of your life. And so it's like, guys, like, yeah, this does matter for Matt. For sure. sure. You know, if he gets it, that's great. But it's sort of just trying to put the context around it for them that like, what does the research really say? How much of a difference does it make if there is a difference? And is that relevant to you? And I, I maybe that's how I try to do it. Just education of like, is this relevant to you? And a lot of times on a lot of this stuff, it's no, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I could see, uh, like, I guess a redirect. Because there's lots mm. of things that athletes do that are lifestyle yeah. traits that, that people should be picking That's up a good on. Point, but I feel yeah. like, you know, a lot of time they just get obfuscated by this outlier that people want to, to see in, in exchange for these other very sound habits. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's, that's a great point. And, and, you know, I'll use Matt again as an example, but it's one of the things that I love about him as a games champion. What was his hashtag and phrase line? Hard work pays off. It wasn't 
beta alanine and more sucks, you know, <laughs> like, you yeah. know, it, it, that's, what's so great about it is like, yes, I'm sure he has some genetic gifts, of course. And then he trained like a madman for years. Right. And, and look what he did. Tia. I mean, it's the same sort of thing. Like we know, yes, she has genetic gifts, but she also trains insane amounts. Right. Yep. And so that's what I, that I do like to show for people. It's like, yeah, they, they did a lot lot of this through training and until you're mm -hmm. at any sort of level where your training is competitive all of this other stuff is is just little noise that's not going to get you there like they got to be who they are because they trained you know those adaptations mm -hmm. even of like dropping your mile time you're, you can do six seconds just by doing it you know three times this week <laughs> you know if you're somewhere in the 10 minute range well it's a lot yeah. easier just to to take that whatever that supplement happens to be than to do more uh, intervals on the air bike. You know, mm. nobody, nobody wants to go down that route. Yeah. You know, it's, it's much easier just to take the same multivitamin that I saw my hero taking and hope yeah, for the best. It, it comes down to the age old thing where, you know, everybody wants a secret sauce, mm -hmm. except for when that secret sauce is, you're going to have to put in a lot more time and effort than a secret sauce would imply. Mm -hmm. <laughs> totally. Totally. Let's, let's, I got a, I've only got a few more random things for you that I don't know if yeah. they'll be short or long answers, but I, I scratched them down as things of, uh, of interest. You mentioned this briefly at the beginning, and it's a potential rabbit hole, where you said something along the lines of, uh, you know, your desire was to change people's behavior, or that was an important mm. fact was changing people's behavior. Mm -hmm. That, if you can crack the code on how to do that, then I, you know, my hat's off to you because I'm, I am of the opinion that, like you said, I've, I've always said, if, if we had this magical invisible drone that followed people around for like a month and watched every decision that they made, at the end of that month, it probably wouldn't be mysterious as to why they're falling short of their goals. And if they watched the footage mm. and you watched their face, they'd cringe because they would know, I shouldn't have got that out of the fridge. Yeah, no, I, I knew that was a bad call, <laughs> but I did that. Like, oh, I, I yeah, I, that's the night that I chose to watch Netflix instead of workout. Yeah, I got that. Like, it's it's usually not mysterious. Now, sometimes maybe it's just an honest lack of information. Sure. 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 But there are plenty sure. of people who, you know what you should do, but you do the opposite just because, I don't know, sugar's delicious. The couch is comfortable, whatever it happens to <laughs> right. be. And it, and it comes down to actually learning how to change your behavior or a loved one's behavior to improve their life. Do you have any tips or tricks in that sort of realm? I don't. I don't. I don't have the secret <laughs> yeah. sauce. There you go. Shortest answer. Shortest answer I in don't. history. If I did, you know, my company would be a lot bigger than it is. Um, but mm -hmm. one is, I mean, I hate to say this, but that is some of the magic of the 800 gram challenge to stay on brand here is the idea that I'm not restricting food. Like, let me tell you how you're going to like full stop with almost everybody out there is tell them they can't have beer, wine, chocolate, chips, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, we're not doing that. We're just adding foods to the diet. So you try to warm up the palate a little bit, try to do something that's a little bit more sustainable and realistic. Um, so that's part of my messaging. Um, you know, I've talked about this a lot on, on a couple other podcasts. We made changes with smoking behaviors and we made changes with seatbelts. Um, I grew up not wearing seatbelts, you know, as a kid in the back Amen seat. Amen to that. Like that. Now, both of those are behaviors where we don't see the effect of them necessarily right away, right? It could be something that takes many, many times before we have a negative outcome. Now, it turns out in both of those cases, uh, there was laws around them. And so we made some changes there. But I also just remember there was lots of public service campaigns, I think even around smoking and stuff like that, like 
somehow we made changes there. And so I'm still open to the possibility that uh, nutrition can make a change as well. And whether or not it's a financial focus where we have a little bit more skin in the game mm -hmm. that way with our choices and our and how far our money goes or whether that's regulation, I don't know. And, um, but I think there's a way that we can do it because we've done it with some things that aren't, aren't immediate gratification um, either. Well, you said well, how I, far our money goes, and I'm sure you've heard before, well, hey, that's great, EC, but it's too expensive to eat healthy, mm. and, and junky food is cheap, and so mm. you're presenting an option to me that's unrealistic and out of reach. I'm sure you've heard that. You know, what's the, what's the comeback to that? Yeah, I go two ways with that. The, the first is most of the people, um, especially that are on my social media group, you know, they're, they're looking at my posts from an iPhone. <laughs> um, so it's hard, it's hard to mm -hmm. think that that replies to them, but certainly, you know, of course there's going to be very various amounts of budgets and there's a lot of great options out there with uh, like Walmart. Um, I go to Lidl is great. Aldi. There's some great chains out there that are very economical and you can drop your costs significantly. So, and then there are going to be times at which, there really isn't a lot of money in the budget. And I don't think it's right that we would change our recommendations of what people should eat. Mm -hmm. I think the problem then is how do we get money into that community? How do we get accessibility of stores into that community? But that's, I'm not going to say that people because they have a certain budget should eat only fast food. I think that's terrible. I think that's mm -hmm. horrific. And so we have to figure out how do we make jobs more accessible or how do we change what's available in their location, not change the diet recommendations? Yeah, yeah that's why I'll, I'm running for president. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll offer my uh, unpopular, outdated opinion yeah. on this one for fear of you know facing the wrath of the internet. I don't buy it, to be perfectly blunt, and I don't expect anybody to agree with me wholesale on that. But I, I've gone through periods of time in my life as a young man where my budget was, uh, shall we say, restricted. Tight. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I lived on a pretty modest personal income and I had no problem finding foods that maybe were not as quality, high quality or, or um, desirable as what I have access to now, but I made it work. And I think it really is a question more of education and will mm -hmm. more than accessibility in a lot of cases. And I... I'm sure there's lots of people that would disagree with that. That's fine. But I, I really think that there's other elements that are more influential than simply, you know, what is my income level? Oh, um, totally. I think for that's for the most people. And honestly, the prices, like I said, at Walmart, I mean, it's like, this is a really hard argument to make guys. If you actually go and look at like beans and rice and bananas right. and apples and potatoes, like it's, it's a hard argument. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are there well, some, oh, go ahead, boss. I was just going to say that, uh, you know, coming back to it, it seems like in, in a field like nutrition that is so complicated and we talked about, you know, the, just the basic understanding is changing all the time on certain topics. The cultural implications are messy at best. Um, I had this question that I was going to ask you about, like, well, do you think that uh, if you had to choose communication skills or knowledge of topic are more important? And to me, I'm like, well, I, I think I know where I land and I think it's obvious. I think if you can't communicate what you know, you're not going to be able to help too many people. And so that yeah. has to be a very important skill set. So that said, and I'll give you a compliment here, too. I always feel that you have done an excellent job of harnessing your communication skills. Hmm. Um, 
what were some of the things that you did to develop that communication style? And was that conscious or was that a skill set that you kind of came to the game with mm. to begin? Well, thank you. I wish I wish it was just natural talent, <laughs> natural raw talent. Um, I think I had two two major influences. The first is my pre CrossFit days. I did um, environmental consulting work, and we I prepared an expert witness to stand trial for who pays to c- clean up present day contamination. Wow. And he was great. He was a, a tough boss. A lot of people thought he was a tough boss. I thought he was great, and um, he was like, every case comes down to three bullet points. The jury were convey, we're trying to convey or convince to 12 people who have never thought about this case that we've spent millions of dollars in years researching. It's going to come down to three big points. We need to somehow convince, convince them or convey all of the data that we have or convey all of the knowledge that they have to people that have never thought about this before. And some of my initial drafts to him, <laughs> he'd be like, what is this, a mystery novel? Um, <laughs> and so he definitely was the one who kind of set up clarity of what do you want to say? You know, what are you trying to say? And, and does somebody who doesn't know what you're talking about, can they follow? So that was kind of some of that initial setup. And then I think CrossFit with the presentation style, right? I, I spent a few moments in front of a, an audience and having to do it in real time. Um, that certainly made me more ready in real time. And I think those, the combination has really helped me in what I've chosen to do now. That, uh, that story of your first or uh, their previous occupation is fantastic. You know, well, good... well, so one of the cases we had, and I'm not exaggerating, had one over 1 million pages of documents to review in a database. Oh and, my goodness. And I, wow. you know, we had to know to a legally defensible degree, what they would say or what they said to convince our case of our client did or did not have legal responsibility. And he still believes it comes down to, you know, three bullet points. Oh, wow. That's trial by fire, but that's, but that's incredibly, incredibly useful for your development as a speaker and just to yeah, be concise. Say, what, what a, what a crazy exercise, not crazy. What a, what a useful exercise in forced distillation, right? <laughs> but think about it. And he wasn't like so dogmatic that it only had to be three, but I mean, yeah. I think even this was some of the early CrossFit days of like the mind works in threes in terms of some of those rep schemes, but think about it from like an argument point of view, like when people get to more than three points, it's hard to remember, right? Mm-hmm. And so it is sort of that, like, what are the big things that they're going to be sitting back there that, wow, this is really hinging on on what big factors? Well, and carrying it forward to something like nutrition, I mean, obviously having the information is one aspect, but if you're talking about somebody that really needs the help, the act is the mm-hmm. important thing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that, that follows. You have all of these different things floating around. They have to be distilled so they can be acted on. And mm-hmm. without that, you know, it's just going to be noise in your head. So, yeah, that's totally interesting. Well, EC, I think as we start to wrap this up, I'm curious, are we missing anything? Is there something that we certainly should have gotten across to people that we've neglected to, to touch on that's of, that's of relative importance that would be remiss if we didn't discuss it? Nothing's jumping forward. That's because we're fantastic Ooh, at interviewing fantastic people. I've got one more question. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, boss. <laughs> and again, I'm going to throw back to something that we talked about a little bit. We touched yeah. on this idea of, you know, there's a lot of information out there these days. And I think mm. that's a positive thing on the net. I think that if you've 
go back in time three, four, five, six decades, there was really only a few major sources of information that people could access. And whoever had kind of influence over those sources of information could obviously put a lot of their feelings forward, dubiously or otherwise. Nowadays, there's a ton of different information out there. You don't have to take your recommendations based on some government-funded study that obviously has been influenced by a special interest group. You know, as one example, there's, there's mm -hmm. a bunch of different independent sources out there. But the obvious problem that that creates is now, who do I believe? Mm -hmm. What is correct? And I think that's where people get a lot. They get lost in the landscape these days by trying to navigate, okay, who is a trustworthy source? So do you have any advice for people on that front? Like if they are interested in this as a topic, how can they start to separate the noise from the signal? Yeah. I know I get that question a lot and it's a hard one because I agree with you. I think it's better to have more voices in this space and I do think it's a net positive. Um, and I'm part of the noise. I also recognize that as well. I think where I got really turned around is again, in, in kind of the 10 years prior is I would read a lot of blogs and there's nothing against blogs. I have one, right? I'm, so I'm not, I'm not blog slandering here, but, <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> but I would read these blogs and they'd be cited, you know, they'd say like studies show and where, where I failed initially is I wouldn't track down the primary information. I would kind of understand the blog and not understand the studies. And as I've gotten more advanced in it, a lot of times when I see these blogs now and I go and I look at the study, I'm like, that study does not even mean anything to the topic of interest, or it was done in rats, or it was done in mice. Now, interestingly enough, that's hard for people to discern that. But I, I think just have the awareness that mainstream media is a better source of getting aware of potential topics. It's not the end-all be-all, even if you're well-read in blogs or mainstream books, you're probably just scratching the surface on something that somebody's studied for their entire life, if not many decades before with many other people. So keep that in mind. And that's true of my podcast. That's true of the stuff I put out. I'm not saying that I'm above any of this stuff, but it's just scratching the surface on a lot of these, especially nutrition um, and science topics that have been studied ad nauseum and are in PubMed to detail. So I think just kind of keeping that perspective. And this is something else that I kind of came up with recently. We'll see, we'll see how it resonates with people. Be open to the possibility that what we currently have is the best solution. And it's the best solution that was evolved by all of the competing interests to date. Because a lot of times these topics like organic or additives in food or whatever it might be that gets a lot of hot buttons. It's like, maybe we're at the best solution of what everybody before, before us has decided is the best solution. Um, and so maybe try to think about it that way too. Stay open to the possibility that everything's not wrong. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's really smart because there's such a need in, in, well, I think just life in general for people to see or feel that there's a progress towards something. Even if that mm -hmm. something is mm -hmm. ill-defined, it's like, well, we have to be moving forward. So yeah, the, the point that, hey, we may have already found a solution to this problem and it does not need to be, you know, maybe explored further is too harsh, but it doesn't need to be riffed on ad nauseum because the solution is, is it's great. It is a solution. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think we should even, and this is true with, you know, even something like the 800 gram challenge or whatever diet solution out there is is I think we should continually reevaluate them and are these sure. the best tools, mm -hmm. but it might be, yeah, it's still the best tool right now, you know, and, and maybe in 50 years it won't be, and that's okay. We should keep the pressure on to keep developing better, but 
we, we don't have to actually change to be better. It could just be keeping the same. Yeah. Or, or at the very least, it doesn't need to be a, a total 180, like throw mm-hmm. the baby out with the bathwater. There you go. Style. Yep. Yeah. So what did you have for lunch in closing? <laughs> <laughs> I actually had, um, oh gosh, I love telling people what I eat because they're like, you're so random. I did have two beef tacos on okay. blue corn tortillas with cheese and tomatoes. And mm. then I made a smoothie with greens and strawberries. <laughs> Sounds great. Okay. Okay. Uh, my final question, then I'm going to ask, yeah. ask you how people can learn more about you if they want to reach sure. out to you. When you do, whenever it happens to be, annually, once a decade, once a week, when you do allow yourself to go off the rails a little bit, what does that oh, look yeah. like in EC's world? What does debauchery look like in EC's world? Um, well, it's definitely more than once. Would you say once a year or something? Crazy say, and, don't, and, don't, and, don't, and don't tell me a glass of red wine and a grape, you know, or an almond. No, I do. I sometimes think I'm like five years old. I love sugar. So peeps, we all know I like peeps. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> I love frosting. Like I'll eat the frosting of cakes mm-hmm. and not the cake. Um, oh, yeah. So that for sure. I'm have you ever put like... have you ever put frosting on a peep? <laughs> now you're talking. No, I haven't. Uh. Hey, you know, I got this all day long. You see, we're in my wheelhouse now. <laughs> That's this awesome. Pat's subject matter expert. Yeah, exactly. Right <laughs> the peeps. The peeps are such a yeah. random, but but just amazing. Like, talk about the encapsulation oh, yeah. of just crystallized sugar. Just a mainline peep. sugar. Totally. Yep. Um, there was. Oh, I just got almost distracted for a second. Well, th- hey. Thank you, thank you, thank you uh, very much for doing this. If, if people want to learn more about you, more about your company, what you offer, you know, tell us a way. How, how can people find you? Yeah, optimizemenutrition.com. Same handles on Instagram and Facebook. And then my podcast is The Consistency Project. A great follow on Instagram, by the way. If you're not doing you. it, you're missing out. Just daily truth bombs <laughs> don't care if they're popular you know i'm a big fan of what's popular not effective excuse me what's uh, effective and not popular and that's what you're all about if it works this is what i'm going to tell you so i absolutely love that ec thank you very much for making time um boz always good to see you as well thank you guys and, ton of fun yeah and I, I will end with this as we always say you know if you're listening to this in audio format thank you so much come on over to the btwb youtube channel post your comments there um, comments for us comments for ec future guests all that good stuff we read those and they drive topics for future shows so to everybody out there in internet land we appreciate the support and we will talk to you next time hi all ec here thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the show Thank you as well for all the support for the five-star ratings and the reviews and for telling your friends or family about the podcast that really does help the podcast grow. And if you want to get the most recent info from me and be up to date on all my content, the best place for that is my email list. So you can subscribe at optimizemenutrition.com slash email. I send out emails (laughs) weekly-ish and that's also the best place to get your question in the queue for Quick Bites episodes. So again, that's optimizemenutrition.com slash email and there's also a link in the show notes.